Yelich sends one to right center and deep. Get up! Get up! Get out of here and go! For Yelich! He has tied the game with a booming home run. He got it all. Tied up 4-4 on a big home run the pitch. Ryan Braun sends it to right center and deep. Get up! Fans, welcome to the Brewers Trilogy podcast presented by the Wisconsin Sports Trilogy. The podcast for only them diehard Brewer fans, but also for those fans who enjoy cheering for a team that revolves around beer. My name is Tyler, aka T Plus, your host for the show. I'm a contributor for reviewing the brew for Fan Sighted and one of the founders of the Wisconsin Sports Trilogy podcast. You can find all the work we do on Twitter at Trilogy underscore pod. As always, I'm joined with good buddy Trevor, aka Sunshine Vendor. You can find him on Twitter at Bender underscore Trevor. He is the host of the Packers Trilogy podcast and is here today to recap the Brewers and Dodgers postseason series in which the Brewers failed to win a game. But before we get there, how are you doing today, buddy? I'm doing pretty well. Another kind of weird recording time for us drinking some coffee because you sounds like you have a busy day worth of projects that you got to do around your house so we're getting it done early in the day here on Sunday and then I get to watch football and I just get to relax the rest of the day so my day is going to go much better than yours (laughs) yeah I've got about 25 to 30 holes to dig (laughs) when it's all said and done I'm definitely not going to get all those done as I'm putting a fence up in the yard because we're already sick of standing outside for what seems like hours on end with our little puppy. So emergency fence operation is starting today. (laughs) I'm just waiting for the ground to get a little bit warmer before we start that. But that's why we are here to record early on in the morning. And we decided not to recap the game at 1 (laughs) a.m. on Thursday night when the Brewers lost because that just wouldn't have been well for anybody. So We'll get into it here today. As always, we have that quick recap. Only two games to cover. Game one of the postseason was when the Brewers lost 4-2, to and it was a real rocky start. Brett Suter was on the mound, and the first hit of the game was a double off the bat of Mookie Betts, in which a running Ryan Braun had a chance to make the play, and it just squeaked in and out of his glove. From there, Suter really never looked like Brett Suter. He struggled with command, ended up walking in the first two runs of the game, only pitched an inning in two-thirds, and walked five batters, which tied his season walk total going into that game. So he was obviously very nervous and took a lot of blame on himself after the game, so you kind of feel bad for the guy. But from there, Eric Yardley came in, pitched really nice, same with Justin Topa, keeping the Brewers in it. And then from there, playoff, Arcia got the Brewers on the board with another postseason home run off Walker Buehler. It's the second one now, if you go back to 2018. This one was a two-run missile in the left. In the seventh inning, Freddie Peralta gave up that solo homer to Corey Seager in what was the final run scored of the game. 
The Brewers did threaten in the ninth with two outs. They pinch hit Jace Peterson. He ended up walking. <laughs> Big surprise. And then Christian Yelch got a shot at Canley Jansen. And as the story of 2020 and Christian Yelch, he struck out on a high cutter that I thought caught way too much of the plate and ended the game. Game two was a 3-0 Brewers loss. The Brewers shuffled their lineup even more. This time they had Ryan Healy batting cleanup in an elimination game. Ryan Braun was out with an oblique injury from something he'd been battling in the Cardinals series and then kind of re-aggravated it when he crashed into the wall in that first inning of game one. As for the game, it was Woodruff on the mounds. He felt confident he would keep the Brewers in it, but his nemesis, the fifth inning, caught up with him. He did give up two hits early in the fifth. He looked like he was going to get out of it on two separate occasions, though. The first one was that grounder to Luis Urias, who was playing third base, stepped on third, and then threw a short hopper to Jerko, who was unable to pick it cleanly. And then the second was a potential... No call, strike three, looking on Austin Barnes. That was not called, even though StatCast ruled it a ball. Woodruff felt very passionate that it was a strike. And as Barnes reached base, then on the walk, Mookie Betts delivered a two RBI. I think it was a single or double on the next at bat. And that was the end of the line for Woodruff, who still argued the Austin Barnes call and got ejected when he was leaving the game. Brewers pitched Brett Suter in the game just to kind of keep it close. They pitched Adrian Hauser after that, but offensively, it was a story of 2020. Zero runs just looked absolutely pitiful at the plate against Clayton Kershaw. So is there anything you want to add to this series, Trevor? Well, I think you misspoke. They pitched Josh Hader after Brandon Woodruff. I believe you said Brent Suter, unless my ears are deceiving me. But yeah, that... I mean, it's more of the same. I feel like I've been saying that since, you know, 30 games into the season that it just nothing is turning the corner. Um, We get glimpses of, oh, maybe something's going to happen. And then, you know, this pitching staff has to be perfect for the Brewers to stand a chance because, you know, two runs in two games is not very good. Um, And that makes it hard to win games when that's all you're scoring. So Brandon Woodruff, I thought, was phenomenal through four. And that fifth inning, like you said, has kind of been his nemesis. And when he has bad outings, that's the inning that gets to him. And like you said, there was some chances for him to get out of it. I thought Urias, I thought, made a good play to stop the ball, get the out at third, and then give the Brewers a chance to get out of the inning. By making the throw, not a very easy throw from what he was doing, uh, you know, running and having to get the ball over to first base from third. It's not a particularly easy throw, so you understand the throw not quite being there. But in my opinion, Jed Jerko has to pick that. It 100%, that needs to be an out. I don't care if he's not normally a first baseman. If you're playing first base in the postseason, you have to make that play. And who knows what happens if Jed Jerko makes that play. Because that was a big point in the game. And at that point, it was still 0-0. So that would have been a really interesting to see what happened the rest of the game. Because as you mentioned, Hader comes in, Hauser comes in after that and gets them through the rest of the game. So it definitely would have been interesting to see what would have happened had that play not occurred like that. So as much as love as we have been giving Mr. Jed Jerko... That's a play defensively that we just have to see him make. And I don't know if it would have changed the outcome of the series, but it definitely would have changed that game. And it might have gave the Brewers a chance to win a game against this tough Dodgers team. 
Yeah, it's so tough for a guy who, like you said, is not normally or naturally a first baseman. He's made so many great plays all season and just unable to come up with that one for whatever reason. And then the other aspect of that is, too, like you have Luis Urias playing third. And I mean, Urias has, a, I think, a decent throwing arm, but not. he doesn't have a cannon by any means, I don't think. And like you said, it was a tough play. He was probably running pretty close. Close to full speed, he was playing pretty deep off third base, but I remember, and kind of had to throw it off one leg, and there was a lot of variables that went into that throw. So, like you said, the fact he gave him a chance, I thought, was pretty good. And a lot of people on Twitter were criticizing Urias, like, "Oh, that's got to be a throw. That's something you have to make." And I was seeing comparisons made to like, "Oh, that's as bad as Trent Grisham's error in the wild card game last year." And I'm just like, "What? No, it." I don't think it comes anywhere near that. Like that, it's just one of the baseball plays that normally happens and just didn't happen for the Brewers in this game. But what do you think about that? I don't think it's anywhere close to what happened in that wild card game last year. I think for the most part, like I mentioned earlier when I brought this up, I think most of that is on Jerko. I think Urias for the situation, I thought he did a pretty good job. Yes, could he have made a better throw? 100%. But that's not always the case. And they're both major league players, and you want to see a better throw, but I don't think it was like egregiously bad on his part. He, like I said, gave the Brewers a chance to get out of that inning, and then Jerko's got to make the pick. That might not be fair. As we mentioned, that's not his normal or natural position. So... You can take that for what it is. But in my opinion, he's got to make that play. Just like baseball scoring pisses me off because, Tyler, you know that I am, I like some of the old school aspects of baseball. Like, I like playing small ball. I like bunting with nobody out and the guy on second. I enjoy that kind of strategy part of it. I understand why teams don't do that anymore. And I understand why the Major League Baseball is might be shifting to full-time DHs in both leagues. I can see all of that happening, but I like old-school baseball, and I like baseball that is played sound defensively, and I'm sick of the official scores giving people credit for hits that should have been out. Like, Mookie Betts, yeah, it was a good hit and everything, but if a ball goes into a glove and comes out of it, it that's an error. I don't care who it is. Ryan Braun deserved an error on that play, and it pisses me off that... That's a hit, even though it was in a guy's glove. You were taught if you can touch it, you can catch it. So catch the damn fucking baseball. <laughs> yeah, God, it's such a it's such a tough call. Like I would hate to have the job of official like scorekeeper or rulers because even like this year they're all doing it from home, which makes it I think even harder. Normally they're in the stadium, but not allowed this year with everything that's going on. So yeah, they're tough calls. I don't. I'm not sure about the Braun one. I, it goes either way. But I understand your point of reasoning there. And we're talking a little bit about how, let's say, this double play does get turned and keeps the Brewers in the game, at least gives them more of a shot. But how confident are you that this offense could have even done anything? I mean, we saw more lineup shuffling this series. Yelich batted leadoff in game one. Kesson Hero is down in the eight hole for that game. Like I said earlier, Ryan Healy was batting cleanup. There was just a lot of more mix and match what we've seen throughout the regular season. So I'm all not that surprised, but I I just don't feel confident that this team would have even done anything <laughs> if the game had been 0-0 going into the ninth. I, 
I can say that with confidence. Yeah, I don't have very much confidence in that either, that the Brewers would, would have been able to win that game. But as we've said all year, and as we've said in this series and about that play, is it would have gave the Brewers a chance. It would have gave them a chance to make a play in the ninth. Like later in the game, if it's 0-0, the whole... The way the game is played is completely different. You know, Council might pinch hit a little bit more often for certain players and try to get a little bit more offense going. Or you, you just never know how things are going to go in that situation. And, you know, maybe you get a leadoff single and then, you know, you try a hit and run to start to try to generate some sort of offense. Like maybe there's just something that happens differently when it's 0-0 compared to 3-0. But like you said, am I supremely confident that the Brewers' offense would get it done? Oh, hell no. <laughs> Not even close. I think, I think I would have been kind of surprised if they would have scored more than two runs. And in a 0-0 game, obviously, that's very beneficial. But I don't know. I'm, I'm not overly surprised with what happened in this series. I'm frustrated. The, most, the thing I'm frustrated most about is when he get up three runs when he pitched better than that, like his ending stat line doesn't look good because of kind of what happened in that fifth inning. But I think give credit where credit is due to Clayton Kershaw because he was making it real, real tough on Brewers hitters. I thought Brewers hitters should try to go deeper into counts. But if you go deeper into counts with Clayton Kershaw, that's kind of going right into his wheelhouse and he's better that way. So you kind of got to jump on him early and I get that. But 93 pitches through eight innings with 13 strikeouts just seems like you got to get him deeper into counts earlier in the game because if he throws eight innings, you're not going to score very much because when Clayton Kershaw is on, it is very, very hard to win against him. So that was something that was kind of disappointing. You know, Brandon Woodruff was pitching just as good through four as Clayton Kershaw. I, I would argue better. But then, of course, that fifth hurts a lot. And then, you know, it's it's going to be hard when you're going up against Clayton Kershaw to score some, get some runs across the plates. But, I mean, like I said, credit Clayton Kershaw. He was incredible in that game. You're right. I mean, the Brewers tried everything to score runs. They even had Brett Phillips up to the plate at once. <laughs> I say that sarcastically because, or actually it might have been in game one, when ESPN called uh, Jace Peterson Brett Phillips. It, I was like, what are they doing? They also called the Brewers the Braves a bunch of different times. So, sorry, that's my mini rant about ESPN sucking. And they, they did a really good job talking about Clayton Kershaw, too, and not a whole lot about Woodruff. Okay. Anyway, small market stuff I'm getting in there, but I think the one silver lining for me is like at least the Devin Williams injury didn't impact the series a ton when all is said and done. Like if you think about it, yeah, it sucks he went out with what they're calling shoulder stiffness now, wasn't even on the roster, but in game one, it wouldn't have mattered. They wouldn't have used him anyway because the Brewers never had a lead. And they didn't use Josh Hader in game one. I highly doubt they'd have used Devin Williams as well, because if you use him in game one, and then if you have to use him in game two, he's basically unavailable for what would have been a game three. So I don't think he would have pitched in game one. They probably would have used him in game two at some point just because it's an elimination game. So maybe he's in instead of Peralta and the final score is two to nothing, which okay, big whoop doesn't change a whole lot. So I think that's one silver lining there, but I do 
I am concerned about the injury. So is there anything you want to add to that or anything you've seen regarding it? No, it was really a surprise when that came out because I messaged you and you hadn't even seen it yet. So that was that was a strange kind of thing that came out about Devin Williams and definitely one that like made me feel like, okay, it's going to be really, really hard for the Brewers to win this series. It was going to be hard before, but now with, without their most dominant pitcher of 2020, it's going to be tough. And then also obviously Corbin Burns not being available, like losing those two guys, I think was detrimental to this team. I think the Brewers could have made it a lot more interesting had they had Devin Williams and Corbin Burns. Because you look back, now I don't know if they would have actually thrown him out there in game one. Actually, I think he would have been on normal rest had he pitched in game one for Corbin Burns if he wasn't injured. Um, Now you look back, you can't assume that Corbin Burns is going to give up three runs and pitch an inning in two-thirds like Brett Suter did, right? You you assume Corbin Burns is going to be somewhat close to you know, what he has been, and at worst, he was going to be what Walker Bueller was. Four innings pitched, two earned runs. Like, a good amount of strikeouts. That That's kind of the basement of what I would have expected for Corbin Burns, and it could have been a lot better. So that first game could have changed. If he's in there, you know, maybe they do use Hayter and Williams then if Williams is available as well, if Corbin Burns is playing. Like, there is so many different things that come from this you know these Corbin Burns and Devin Williams injuries were so detrimental and so important for the Brewers to have them out there and not having them especially when the offense can't do anything more and your offense was solely Orlando Arcia in this game or in this series you need every single one of your pitchers in that situation and the Brewers just flat out didn't have two of their best pitchers and I would argue two of their most the two most dominant pitchers they had in the 2020 season they didn't have for this series against the Dodgers who are very good and you need everything to go right against them and so not having those two players was just going to be was going to make it tough to win against a team like that yeah and then it gets tougher when Braun gets injured Jacob Nottingham was injured Gamble was on the roster but only made one plate appearance he was the last out of the series so he was basically a non-factor, still recovering from that quad injury. And then you factor in how many rookies the Brewers use. Like in game one, they used Tyrone Taylor, Jacob Nottingham, Eric Yardley, Justin Topa, and Drew Rasmussen. That's five rookies they used in game one against the Dodgers. Like, that's kind of interesting. And maybe it's somewhat optimistic. Like, hey, maybe they can build upon this. But then at the same time, like, do I have faith in Tyrone Taylor or Jacob Nottingham becoming juggernauts offensively? No, not really. <laughs> I got more confidence in the pitchers than I do the offensive players out of that that rookie group. But I did find it interesting that, yeah, lots of rookies and the Brewers were at least able to hang and not get blown out in this series. I'll just say this. I am excited to see what this team is going to do next year. And I know that's way too early to start talking about that already, but I am really excited with what this pitching staff showed us. And for the last, I don't even know how many years, the Brewers were 100% reliant on their offense. And the fact that we could rely on our pitchers to keep us in games this year, I expect this offense to be much, much better next year. 
I expect Keston Hira to be better, Christian Yelich. I expect those two to be better. And if those two are better, this offense is going to be tremendously better. You know, Lorenzo Cain coming back, hopefully he can provide something there. I just think this offense is going to be closer to what we're used to seeing. And then with this pitching staff, and you mentioned it, you know, Justin Topa, Drew Rasmussen, you add those guys into an already great group of guys in Hayter, Williams, Woodruff, Burns. I think you can throw Hauser in there, even though he struggled this year. You throw all of those guys in together, and you start to put together a really fun pitching staff that should have a much improved offense next year. And I am just super, super excited to see what happens and how good the Brewers can be in the 2021 season. Yeah, the offense was interesting this year, that's for sure. I mean, they averaged 4.02 runs per game, and that is literally the lowest run total since the 2014 series that the Brewers have averaged as a team, which was 4.01. I mean, even that year, 2014, Brewers went 82 and 80, somehow finished above 500, and the Brewers didn't this year. Kind of bizarre, but yeah... I agree. I'm very excited for what this team can do next year. And as you know, we will get into a lot of those players this offseason to kind of hype us up. But let's do this one more time here. Let's wrap up the Dodgers series with a series MVP and a series dud. Last MVP of the year. Who do you got? I got a guy that I think has been underappreciated on our series MVP. Looking back, I think he's only had our MVP twice, and I do not see him on our series dud. So, you know, that is something that I think is a lot different than what we've seen in previous years. So I'm just going to say playoff Arcia, and I know his stat line's not great, but he produced the only runs in this in this series, so... I think he deserves it. You know, he was only one for seven. He did strike out four times, but obviously the big home run, uh, big two-run home run is kept the Brewers in that first game and made it so they had a chance. And that's the extent of my reasoning. I don't think anyone else pitched or hit insanely well to deserve that. I think you look at... Avi Garcia, he was four for eight, so he was getting on base well. He did have three strikeouts. Um, other than that, offensively, those are kind of the only two ones to speak of. Not a lot of production outside of that. And then pitching, you know, I don't think anyone pitched insanely well to allow them to get really in this conversation to be able to get that series MVP. Yeah, I was super pumped when playoff Arcia hit that two-run jack and did not expect that to be the only offense of the series. Avi Garcia had, I think, three hits in game one, so then he got one in the fourth game. Must have been off Kershaw at that point there for his fourth hit. But I, with the offense, I just couldn't rationalize picking MVP that way, so I'm going to think a little bit outside the box and pick a pitcher for my series MVP. And I'm going to go with Eric Yardley. Just because Brett Suter came out all nervous, struggled, walked in the first two runs, like I said, and then Council brings in Yardley right after that. He goes two and a thirds innings, doesn't allow any runs, really kept the game at bay and didn't let the Dodgers blow it wide open. And I was impressed with him. And he did exactly what Craig Council would have asked. And if he would have struggled on only one inning and the Brewers would have had used more bullpen pitchers, they they wouldn't have been looking so good. So 
I'm going to tip my cap to Eric Yardley for my MVP. Who do you have for a dud? I think the guy you just mentioned, and I know on this podcast we are a Brett Suter lover. We love watching him play. Um, I love the fact that he just goes out there and pitches and doesn't allow any time for hitters to think and just I I love his the way he approaches the game but I think it was a very bad performance clearly three earned runs with five walks in less than two innings that's that's a very rough outing and for his postseason ERA at 16.2 after that so just rough stuff from Brett Suter but not only the rough outing but when it occurred, right? Like you have hopes going into this Dodger series and you hope that the Brewers can just put something together to start a run here. And when that is your first outing from a pitcher, it makes it really, really hard to come back of. And I think just the magnitude of that and the Brewers, knowing the Brewers offense this year, they weren't going to be able to come back from three runs down that early. And that's exactly what happened. So I'm going to give Brett Suter the series dud, but hopefully he does not continue that trend and we get to see that Brett Suter we saw at the end of last year because that was fun to watch. It was a rough outing. I think I stress drank my entire big glass of my old fashioned that first inning just because of how bad he was performing and just so uncharacteristic of him. But I understand your reasoning for giving him the dud. I'm going to pick an offensive player for the dud and... He probably has to be close to our leader now in that category. And I'm going to go with Christian Yelich. Two of nine for the series. Did have one double, four strikeouts. But again, big thing, no run production. And you need your stars to show up in a series like this. Like If he would have shown up and at least gave us something to cheer about, we would have at least forgot about his terrible regular season for the time being if he could have willed the Brewers to a win like he did so many times last year. And just unable to do it against the Dodgers and was unable to do it against Kenley Jansen in the ninth inning with a chance to tie the game and oh it just frustrated me so I thought about picking Kesson here as well but the fact he batted eighth and Craig Council didn't have any promise in him in that first game I was like yeah we'll give we'll cut him a little slack I'm gonna put all my series dudness on Christian Yelich for this one. So Christian Yelich ran away with the dud winnings, which is uh, obviously terrible. Um, He had seven from you and I. And then if you remember, Jack Stern had him as his series dud. So that's eight in this 60 game season. I believe if I counted correctly, it looks like Keston Hira is the next closest to him with five series dud nominations from us so we've we've mentioned this and i i mentioned it earlier on this podcast saying if we get christian yelich and keston hero back this offense next year is going to be a lot better and this is the reason why because they were bad they were straight up bad they were what 13 14 times we picked them as series dud it's been a terrible performance from them and i have all the confidence in the world that we're going to see both Christian Yelich and Keston Hira bounce back from this, but I think they are a big reason why this 2020 season and this offense struggled in this 2020 season like they did. Yeah, there is no denying that whatsoever, and we'll take a deep dive, unfortunately, into their terrible seasons this offseason and try and figure out what the hell happened with these guys and 
they're astronomically high whiff rates. So, oof, yikes. Hopefully it was just a weird season for them and they can rebound. But we'll be looking at the other NL Central teams in the playoffs. Well, wait. There are no more NL Central teams in the playoffs. So weirdly enough, all the NL team Central teams are gone. The Reds got eliminated against the Braves. They played 22 innings in that series there, and the Reds failed to score a single run. <laughs> so, Wait, there's there's an offense worse than the Brewers? <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? It's crazy. And Trevor Bauer is on Twitter like he normally is. He was just pissed about it. So <laughs> I, I don't know if he'll be staying in Cincinnati. The uh, Marlins won a playoff series. Like, holy shit, yeah, 2020. <laughs> Marlins are sweeping the Cubs in two games. And then the uh, the Cards and the Padres had a really exciting series. The Padres win the third game. But, man, that game two, like, the Cardinals had, like, a four or five run lead at one point. And then Tatis and, oh, who was the other guy? Uh, is it Wills, Will Myers for the Padres. They just both went off for like two home runs each, both of them occurring after the sixth inning. And just <laughs> it was an onslaught of home runs. So that was a really fun series to watch. But crazy to think that the NL Central is out of the playoffs already. Yeah, that second game of the Cardinals Padres series, they were down six to two. The Padres were. And Tatis, I believe, hit a three-run homer to make it five to six. And then I believe it was the next inning. Maybe it was right after that. I can't remember. Then they tied up, and it's like, okay, what is going on? And that game ended eleven to nine. And like Tyler said, it it was six to two in like the sixth inning. So that was that was a crazy, crazy baseball game. So we've mentioned this before, and I don't know if it was. You know, for the 2020 season before it started or when we've talked about this, but I know we have talked about this and it's the NL Central is not the best division in baseball. It is the most competitive being the most competitive division. That's why they got four teams into the playoffs, which is nuts because you get two automatically and then there's two wildcard spots and the NL Central was able to put their two next best teams into that wildcard spot. So to me, they're the most competitive, but if they were to be the best division in baseball, at least two of those teams would have won. And clearly that did not happen. And now the NL Central's out of it. And that is crazy to think that all of the teams in the NL Central lost. And if the Brewers couldn't make it past them, I, I'm okay with that. I love seeing the Cardinals lose. I love seeing the Cubs lose. And Trevor Bauer, if you're listening, Come on over to Milwaukee. We'd love to have you. It'd be a better situation. <laughs> it would certainly be very entertaining, that's for sure. And actually, Trevor Bauer might fit the profile for a David Stern signing. There's, I guess he's went on the record and saying he does not want a long-term deal. He wants one-year deals to maximize his value each year. So, like, that sounds like a David Stern signing to me. Yeah, maybe a, maybe a one-year deal with a mutual option. For year two? <laughs> what? Stearns has done those before? Really? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Hopefully it doesn't pan out like this year's signings, because, yikes, that, <laughs> none of those worked. But Wait, Daniel Vogelbach? Do not put shade on Daniel Vogelbach's name there, Tyler. <laughs> he wasn't a signing. We just picked him up, and <laughs> he's actually still in pre-arbitration, so I think he's going to be a brewer next year, guaranteed, that's for sure. <laughs> well, hopefully Vogelbach, I mean, I feel like if he sticks around Milwaukee for the offseason, he might come in like with an increased, Bigger. yeah, 30 pounds <laughs> worth of cheese curds. <laughs> and beer. Don't forget and beer. beer. 
<laughs> oh, geez. All right, so yeah, that'll transition us here. I mean, what's next for the Brewers? It's a long wait. I hate the off-seasons, but we try to make them as fun as we can for for us and for everyone else. We will do some deep dives into specific players. We'll be sure to get lots of different guests on this off-season. And, of course, we'll cover breaking news as it happens. So we'll be switching back to a roughly one podcast a week now unless something crazy happens and we feel like we need to talk about it but otherwise once a week on mondays we will be releasing with our off-season schedule so make sure you stick with with us and we will talk to you next monday see you later brewer fans trust in burns <laughs>